Good morning. I heard you took out a bank loan today. Did you? After our conversation the other night, I was frankly surprised. You despise me that much? Believe it or not, Lex, some things actually have nothing to do with you. I decided to bet on my family. You're betting with Clark's future. I'm just trying to insure it. Yeah, well, so am I. With the bank. They'll kill you with the interest while waiting for you to fail. At least with the bank, I know where I stand. I know you don't believe me, but I genuinely want to help you. When you change your mind, my offer still stands. Somebody save me indeed. Hello and welcome to Farm to Fable, a Smallville rewatch fancast. I am your forever host, Michael, and I'm also the host of the RPG Academy podcast, where I talk mostly about role-playing games, but all tabletop gaming in general. I also organize a three-day gaming convention held in Dayton, Ohio, each November. Before we get started, please be advised that Farm to Fable may include adult language and reference adult behavior. Please consider us PG-13 in regards to content acceptability for your young ones. Also, this is your spoiler warning. While we will focus on each episode week to week, our discussions may and likely will reference the entire series run and the wider Superman mythos. You can email our show at smallvillefancast at gmail.com with any comments, concerns, or questions. Please follow us on Twitter at Farm2Fable and join our Facebook group page at Smallville Farm to Fable. With all of that out of the way, let's meet today's co-host. Hi, I'm Eric Osley, creative director of the Gamers Table podcast, Big 20 Dungeon Master show that, that live streams every Sunday evening, and the Game Master of Resting Glitch Face, the Audioverse award-winning Shadowrun actual play. Well, Eric, let me be the first to welcome you to Smallville. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. Happy to have you. Now, so at the end of our last episode, X-Ray, our co-host for that episode, Michael, asked his pass the torch question for you to answer. Uh, in the office of Smallville Torch, there is the exists the famed Wall of Weird curated by one Chloe Sullivan. The Wall of Weird contains all the strange and interesting events that have occurred in Smallville since the meteor shower. So the question is this, what would your strange event on the Wall of Weird be? Uh, mine would be a Smallville take on the classic Lovecraft story, uh, Color Out of Space. Only, um, in this case, the meteor rock would have landed in my outhouse. <laughs> uh, you know, meteor tainted, uh, waste would contaminate the, like the groundwater and resulting in like my crops and, uh, livestock growing to like mythic proportions and winning like all the blue ribbons at the state fair. But ultimately, I think they would all taste like crap. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine what that actual headline would be, like award-winning pumpkins taste like crap. <laughs> <laughs> so the pass the torch question is designed as a way to help us get to know each individual co-host. I have decided to answer them myself too, but I'm here every week. So it's a little bit different for me. Uh, so playing off my last answer, um, I imagine the headline would be something along the lines of, Tragedy befalls local gaming group, and it is just a close-up picture of our meteor-infected D20s that, that from the last episode, we were part of a gaming group that had meteor-infected 
Uh, so it'd be something along those lines, like tragedy strikes and then a close up shot of all the dice. And there'd be something in there about demonic forces and sat- Satanist, uh, cults. And, uh, you know, all of us have disbanded and are now seeking, uh, help from institutions. Yeah. I can see the, the headline crit fail. <laughs> Which is actually similar to what yours could have been as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just spelled anyway. a little differently, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just a little, little different. Uh, so let's open the Smallville yearbook and see our notable guest stars for this episode. Hey, Clark. Look who came to check up on you. Michael Korstein as Sean Kelvin. We also have uh, Tanya Solinaire. I'm so sorry. Uh, who plays Jenna Barnum. So this episode is going to be cool. This is season one, episode five. The original date of airing was November 13th, 2001. The character Superman was created by Jerry Seigel and Joe Schuster, and Smallville was created by Alfred Goff and Miles Miller. The writer for this episode was Michael Green. Uh, director for this episode is James A. Contner. Awesome. All right. Are you ready to explore the Kawachi Caves and get a glimpse of where we came from as well as where we are going? Absolutely. Obnoxious athlete Sean Kelvin drowns in an icy kryptonite-infested lake and is resurrected with the intense need for body heat. He freezes his old girlfriend to death and sets his sights on Chloe. That's helpful, but it doesn't really tell us what we need to know. So let's dig a little deeper into these caves and ask the important questions. Mm -hmm. Does this episode feature a vehicle crashed or otherwise destroyed? Yes, it does. Does this episode feature Clark telling or showing someone besides his forever crush Lana his powers and abilities? Yes, it does. Follow up. Does that person then die, lose their memory, or otherwise become unable to share this knowledge, or do they become a confidant of Clark's? Hmm. I'm not sure about that one. All right, we'll get to it. Uh, does this episode feature a moment where a character travels a seemingly long way to have a short conversation and then leaves? Yes, it does. Does this episode feature a conversation between two people where one person has their back to the other and weirdly talks over their shoulder? <laughs> yes, it does uh, several times. And follow-up, was the person talking weirdly over their shoulder, Lex Luthor? Yes, several times. <laughs> <laughs> does this episode feature a particularly thirsty moment for one or more of our characters? Thirsty. Uh, Well, yeah, definitely Sean. The rest of them, uh, probably, nah, not really. But yeah, Sean was definitely thirsty. Definitely Sean, yes. Uh, does this episode feature a moment where a contemporary song plays that has lyrics which perfectly sum up a character's thoughts and or desires? Yes, it does. <laughs> and finally, does this episode feature a classic, yeah, a classic Smallville leap of logic wherein the characters jump to a correct conclusion around who or what is behind some mysterious event with little to no actual information to base such conclusions? Uh, conveniently, yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So now that we have a better roadmap of where we are going, let's use our x-ray vision and look closely at this week's episode. So in our cold open, Clark and Chloe join a high school party at Crater Lake, despite how cold it is. Chloe gets attention from Sean Calvin and gives him her number. Sean ends up falling into the frozen Crater Lake and appears to drown near meteor fragments. But the next day, he emerges from the lake and can only keep warm by stealing heat. The thing I found interesting about this cold open was uh, it, it starts off with uh, with them showing up. And one of the things that I noticed uh, right away was, you know, it's supposed to be I'm, I'm assuming it's winter time or relatively close to winter, like late fall. But yet the grass was all green, but the the lake was completely frozen. So I, I wasn't quite entirely certain why this was happening. <laughs> uh, so uh, but, you know, not to try and, you know, 
come down too much on it. I kind of did a Smallville leap of logic and mm -hmm. uh, came to the conclusion that it was actually the 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 kryptonite that was causing the the water to be so cold. So that that's why it was uh, it was frozen at that point and everything else around it was not. You know, that that may work uh, because that's that's one of the points we're going to talk about near the end of the episode. There's a huge continuity error where the frozen lake now does not make sense in relation to other things as as you're speaking. So it's definitely something. And, and we say this every time we love the show. We're going to nitpick some things that don't make sense because that's what makes Smallville Smallville. Right. But it all comes from a place of love. But yeah, that the the frozen lake does not work, and it's also <laughs> very bad CGI. Like that whole scene <laughs> does not look. It looks like a bad video game cutscene, like him walking on the ice and then it cracking. It's not good, right? And I also loved because uh, uh, what sets that up, of course, it, it was was it Whitney that threw the ball? Yes. Uh, so Whitney throws the ball. And it, it's just, you know, it's it's not that far over Sean's head. So he has to go out on the ice to get the ball. And it shows like a wide shot of of the ball sitting there. And it's probably 25, 30 feet from the shore. So that's where Sean goes out to get it. And then, of course, the ice cracks and he falls in. And it is impossibly deep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because it shows an undershot of him, like kicking, you know, trying to trying to tread water underneath this ice. And I'm like. I mean, unless Crater Lake is like it, it would almost have to have been like a quarry that was dug out with like sheer sides. Otherwise, there's mm -hmm. no way that it was that deep, <laughs> that deep, that close to shore. Right. Um, so one of the things I noticed. Well, first of all, the first thing I noticed is that the opening song is from Eve Six. Mm. I don't know that it relates to the show at all, but it was like a huge nostalgia bomb for me uh, listening to Eve Six in the early 2000s. So just want to note that. But it was kind of weird because in this episode, Sean's a horrible person. Yes. And even before, or even after, yeah, even before it becomes a meteor freak and kills people, he's a pretty bad dude. He's, he's pretty awful. Yep. But he actually has a small mo moment of what I would consider like niceness just before this happens because he's, he's playing football with Whitney. Whitney throws the ball over his head, which again, Whitney's this quarterback of the football team. Kind of a jerk move there, dude. Like, I think he I did think it on purpose, right? Almost. Or at least he didn't care. Right. And then Whitney's like, hey, the pizza's here. And Sean's like, you go on. I'll get the ball. And I just like, that's actually kind of a nice thing. Because if it was me, I'd be like, dude, hold up, jackass. You're the one threw the ball. You wait for me. Right. Or uh, like, I know, got it. You go on and see some pizza. You threw it. You go get it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And then that causes him, unfortunately, to, I, I don't know if he actually dies. It says he drowns in the summary, and he certainly spends an entire night underwater. But his symptoms are that he can't get warm, not that he's a zombie. Right. It's but, it's kind but, of an yeah. inter interesting to think of it that way. I never really thought about it until you just brought it up. But maybe, yeah, maybe he is something like a, like a zombie or a revenant or something like that, you know, and it explains some of his uh, weird powers. I don't know. And, and again, we'll talk about it at the very end. Because of how this episode wraps up, it, it's very unclear what happens to him at the end. Uh, but the other thing I wanted to notice or wanted to mention is his name, Sean Kelvin. Right. Kelvin is a scientific temperature scale, and it's the only one that actually has a measurement for absolute zero. Yes. So I'm guessing the name was on purpose. Oh, yeah. Well, and that kind of ties into a lot, especially DC, old school DC. They had kind of on the nose names, Scott Free and, and things like that, you know. So, yeah, that, I think that might have been just kind of a nod to the to the old school there. So the next day, Sean emerges from the lake. Everyone's gone. 
there's a quick like ADR line where someone's like, hey, where's Sean? And someone's like, I don't know, he's probably in the back of some car. So no one seems to really clock that he's missing. So they don't think about it. They, they leave him. He The next day he emerges from the water. He goes by a small fire that's still lit. And he absorbs the heat from the fire that it actually like flash freezes the flame. And you get this pretty cool little effect of like a like a flame that's frozen solid. And I think you noticed or you mentioned somewhere that you like to think it was actually the um, the mist. Yeah, the water vapor. Yeah, the water vapor, the, the water vapor from like the the because it really doesn't make any sense that you because you can't freeze an actual flame. But uh, I mean, you're burning wood. So there is vapor there. So maybe he just flash froze that. And and before we move on, I didn't think about it until you just said it, but Sean is such a dog that his own friends don't care. And <laughs> and he's obviously like hooked up with somebody or left in somebody else's car unannounced. I mean, they all have cell phones. So he could have, you know, if, if he could have just said, you know, hey, let me text, uh, let me text Sean, make sure he's okay. Nobody cared. Nobody cares. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I actually was really impressed with how they did film his quote-unquote drowning scene uh because i mean there are shots above the ice where he's you know and this is very true to life if you fall through a crack in the ice generally you're going to drown because you can't find the hole you fell in like that's just what happens it's terrifying uh but it's really well filmed and, and convincingly filmed and then you also have that shot from underneath where he's trying to punch through the ice and i mean i i honestly i have to assume that there was probably like a tank full of water and like some fake ice but I actually was a little bit like, almost like had a bit of anxiety watching it because it's very convincingly filmed for a Smallville TV show, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that is, uh, I mean, drowning is like one of those major phobias or fears that people have. So, uh, just seeing that, I could see where that would evoke that, that level of anxiety. Right before Sean falls in the ice, he's playing football with Whitney and he, Whitney asks, like, are you really interested in Chloe? And Sean's like, nah, just another notch in the belt. And Whitney's like, that's cold. Like, come on, <laughs> come on. Seriously, somebody wrote that. Come on. <laughs> in Act One, Clark overhears Jonathan and Martha going over the farm's dire financial situation. We learn that Clark doing the work of multiple farmhands is part of the reason why the farm is still viable. We learn Sean hasn't called Chloe yet. Clark denies having a crush on Lana. Pete dares Clark to ask Chloe out, but Chloe asks them both to treat her better. Sean sees the school nurse who tries to send him home sick, but after stealing some of her body heat, feels much better. Lex approaches Martha with an opportunity to help the farm's money problems. And Lana's plans on a day in Metropolis with Whitney fall flat when he begs off to watch a fight with his friends. Uh, the first thing I noticed, uh, that whole thing about Clark doing the, the work of four uh, farmhands kind of struck me as weird is, so that's that's four people you're not having to pay to do what you're doing. So is it, uh, Kent farm really that bad off? I mean, is it's, it, they wouldn't have been able to do it without Clark if they're that in much in dire straits. Oh yeah, absolutely. If it wasn't for Clark, that farm would have went under years ago. So is it, my question is, is it being mismanaged? You know, <laughs> if, if you have that much of a leg up and that, you know, you're not, you're not, you're covering overhead that, that well with your super powered kid. I mean, you know, what are you doing wrong, man? <laughs> <laughs> but that's, it's a good, it's a good question. And the, the financial situation of the farm is a through line through many of the early seasons. I think up through like season four or five, it's constantly an, an issue until, you know, conveniently it's not anymore. Right. But I always assumed 
that they didn't bring on a lot of hands because Clark, they didn't want strangers around Clark. Right. And in, in a lot of ways, it would be a waste of Clark's abilities because Clark can do everything. But if you bring on other people, then he can't. So you're kind of like, you know, you're hamstringing your best player to bring these other people on. But we learn in future episodes and specifically Jitter, which I think is like episode seven, eight, somewhere in there, of a farmhand who did work on the farm with Clark. So it doesn't make any sense. And it seems like you're right. Like if Clark wasn't doing this much work, I think the farm would have went under years ago. So I have to conclude that it's, I don't say it's mismanaged, but maybe it's just not viable. The, the size of the farm versus the expenses, like the crops they grow. Right. Something's not adding up. Clark jokes about uh, becoming a professional athlete. Mm-hmm. And I think personally that kind of was a nod to the old John Byrne uh, Man of Steel series that was in the, in the uh, mid eighties when they did the revamp of Superman because he was a football star in that series. And, you know, that, that whole thing of, you know, he was holding back and whatnot. I think it was, it, it, I thought it was a little bit of an, at least to me, seemed like a little bit of a nod to that old story. So I wanted to kind of bring up that we see this, uh, savant style math ability that Clark has. Like he just, he overhears them talking about, you know, percentage interest rates, and he's instantly is able to do the calculations in his head. And, you know, out of all the abilities that we see Clark show throughout the course of the series, they never really talk about how smart he is. I get the feeling that he's super smart, that, you know, he's able to probably do well in all his classes. And, you know, I'm just guessing that he could super speed read and study, but they don't really talk about it. But is, I mean, I guess this is a question about the mythos. Is Superman like a genius? I'm not a Superman, not like a through and through Superman guy, but as I recall, yes, he is like on par with like Bruce Wayne. But it's one of those things like he he nerfs himself so much all the time that you know it, he he'll come across as being the bumbling nerd or you know he's he's you know not world wise and all that stuff like that. So I think in a way he's super smart, but just like with his physical abilities, uh, you know his his human family has told him. He needs to tone it back. Otherwise, he's going to stand out too much. Right. He can't be the smartest kid in class, but I have a feeling that he's easily could be if he wanted to be. Maybe that's where all these leaps of logic come from. He's actually so smart. He's seen patterns that we normal humans can't see. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, So after that scene, we have Chloe, Petey, and and, uh, Clark walking towards the bus and we have some conversation back and forth about dating and, and Clark asked Chloe if Sean had called. Now I'm an old man at this point. I was pretty old when the show came out, but he got her number last night at a party that she then left right away after. Is it reasonable to assume he would have called that same night? Like, I feel like this would have been the next day sort of thing. It just, I don't, it didn't make sense to me that that would even be a question. Well, and I guess, um, I don't know. Maybe there was a time jump that we they just didn't really acknowledge because why were they out that late on a school night anyway? Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, not, not, that makes me sound like a really old man. But, uh, <laughs> you know, um, I mean, if it was like, you know, it was, if it was like a Tuesday, what, what are they doing out in a field on a Tuesday night or whatever? Uh, my assumption was it was a weekend. Maybe the next day was Sunday. He could have called. And then Monday you know, they show up, they, they're going to school and he had, still hadn't called, but no, they never addressed that. So no, no, not at all. Gotcha. Well, uh, cause, cause that actually makes a lot more sense to me that, 
um, that this was like a Friday, Saturday night party. And then now it's Monday, first day of school. But that doesn't track for me, Sean, coming out of the water and finding a small fire right. still. Oh, right, lit. right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, yeah, must I mean, have, I that, had, that, that had to have been like a massive bonfire to still be burning, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and in that, uh, in that conversation that they, uh, that they have as they're walking like to the bus or wherever they're going, Pete actually defends Sean saying, you know, oh, he's not that bad. And that is like the epitome of the bro standing up for, you know, the, the other bro who probably really isn't all, you know, that good of a person. And, you know, kind of doing that, uh, you know, the, don't, the boys will be boys, you know, pl- don't hate the player, hate the game kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, that's it. And, uh, Pete always comes across to me as that kind, that level of a, he's a teammate and Sean is still a teammate and he's going to stick up for his teammate, even though he probably really shouldn't. Yeah, I think this is definitely a blind spot here for for Petey because he says, you know, he's always treated me well. That doesn't mean anything in relation to how he treats other people, non-football players. So, yeah, not a good look for our guy there, I don't think. I do like the little mini rant, though, that Chloe goes on when she, you know, they kind of go back and forth really quickly about Clark says he doesn't really have a crush on Lana. Then Pete's like, well, then ask someone else out. And Clark's like, well, who? And Pete's like, Chloe. And Chloe's like, hey, you know, don't. Don't bring me in the middle of this, but I, I really like the way she delivers that and that last line. And both of you treat me better. I'm like, yeah, treat her better. Chloe's awesome, and you should treat her better. Well, yeah, and that's – I mean uh, I think Pete kind of crossed the line there, I, which is uh, funny because some of the same thing happens later with Lex who also crosses that line. But because it's what Clark wants, it's not seen I, – I don't think it's seen as bad. And, and we, we know that Chloe has a thing for Clark. I mean that's just – you know, that's been obvious from like the first episode. So, yeah. you know, it, but her and her saying that and standing up for herself was a pretty good moment. I I recognize the nurse from somewhere. And even though I did not include her in our guest cast, I did look her up. Her name is Elizabeth McLaughlin. Laughlin. Uh, we've seen her in Psych, Supernatural, and Flash. And the thing that I just wanted to to mention here is, one, I really like the effect they use to show Sean going from cold to warm. And it looks like mostly it's just a lighting trick, but it works for me. But but if you notice, when Sean leaves the, the office after he's feeling better, he checks her out. He gives her like a once-over. Yeah, I mean, he definitely checks out the the, the trunk. The, you know, he looked at her ass basically. It's just like it's really quick and subtle, but it's like, oh, come on, seriously. <laughs> he's oh, he's 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 basically looking for anything. He he is totally a dog. The one thing I noticed about that that whole thing was, uh, I mean, this was uh, two thousand and one, and she was using a mercury thermometer. So how how backwards is uh is Smallville high that they're still using uh you know mercury thermometers back then um so I, I that's as as a nurse that's the first one of the first things I picked up was what are they doing with a mercury thermometer <laughs> I mean cuz cuz realistically though a digital one would have worked just as well you know it, cuz it would have just read out like you know 38 degrees or whatever but I, yeah it was just an aesthetic aesthetic choice that the showrunners made or you know set designers but it was yeah I, it didn't like stand out to me as much as it did you but i did i did notice i was like they're using a 
you know, what I call an old school thermometer. It would, it would register as, um, when she, you know, when you pull those out and you start to use them, they're at room temperature. So it, his temperature, it would have made it actually the mercury go down. So, you know, that, as the nurse would, she, you know, to look at it would be like, this thing is, is it leaking? What's going on? You know? <laughs> they call the hazmat team. They have a mercury right? exposure. <laughs> Uh, so the next thing that happens is we have um, Lex comes out to the farm talking to Martha, and it's this very comedic moment where Martha's using a chainsaw. She cuts a log and she turns around quickly and just about like cuts you know Lex in half. And it made me think of the the movie Tucker and Dale versus Evil has no relation to Smallville, but it's a really funny movie. And there's a part where a chainsaw and some bees, and it's just it's a good time. So anyone out there listening, if you haven't watched Talk Tucker and Dale versus Evil, check it out. It's funny. <laughs> yeah, uh, that one. I the the scene itself was uh was pretty interesting but yeah the uh, that you know the the little jump scare in the beginning where you know oh you know you know i'm uh i come in peace and on all that stuff it makes me wonder if lex was actually lex meant for that to happen you know uh like he snuck up on her because you know maybe wanted wanted her to react that way because lex is that level of of slime right he's gonna He's going to try and do anything to to get somebody off balance and to have her turn around real fast and, you know, almost cut him in half. That's going to put her on the defensive. Mm -hmm. It make her sort of like uh, apologetic towards him and responsive. Yep. More responsive to what he's got to say. And then his body language in that scene was was really good. Uh, You know, initially he does his, you know, you know, his patented delivery of, you know, like he's like he's turned his back and he's going to talk over the shoulder like we talked about earlier, you know, and then he goes into this whole, you know, I'm sensitive to the lowly farmer spiel and he harkens back to better times of, you know, this, the, you know, Smallville used to produce 30% of the corn for the state and all this other stuff. He did that with his back turned. And uh, my belief is the reason he did that was because he didn't want Martha to see how insincere he was because he really doesn't care. So then he turns around and then he goes into this really close like uh it's it's like a close uh close scene where he's really close to her like close talking and he's intently staring at her. He's already got her on the defensive or at least more receptive because of the the whole chainsaw thing and now he's exuding his will over her trying to get her to listen and be more accepting to the the scheme that he's got going on. At least that's the way it came across to me. No, I don't put any of that above Lex. He's very manipulative and calculating. And uh, like, I don't even doubt that he showed up knowing Jonathan wouldn't be there to talk to Martha, Martha first. Like, I, I have no doubt that all of that was calculated. Uh, so then we end out this scene with Lex running into Lana at the beanery and uh, find out that uh, her and Whitney are supposed to spend the day in metropolis and lex is just not having it at all and then whitney comes in and just makes a moron out of himself and we just have that moment of lex says uh i'm you know i'm sorry i'm just i think you're with the wrong guy and again lex is a calculating jerk but i do feel like he really does want to get clark and lana together i think he he's doing it because he wants clark to owe him like you know it's it's not out truly altruistic that he wants these two together he wants to be the one to give clark what clark wants and this just i mean it could have been a puppy and he would be the one that buys the puppy if, if he could do that but he's putting effort in to try to 
work out a situation so that Lon and Clark get together so that Clark will owe him one. Or at least he doesn't still – he feels like he owes Clark from, you know, what, episode one. You know, that that set the relationship there. And so then, yeah, this whole, you know, he knows what Clark really, really wants. And knowing Lex Luthor as a character, not just as a, on a, like a meta level, it's okay. I gave you what you want. What I could, what I give you, I could always take away, you know, so I, mm-hmm. I could totally see him doing that. Um, and what I liked about that exchange between Lex and Lana is he systematically like pokes holes in each one of Lana's attempts to show how Whitney is a good guy. And, I, I don't I don't really believe that Whitney is a bad guy. I think he's he's a self-absorbed jerk, but he I, I think Sean's way worse than he is. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, it, I think it's just it, Whitney is kind of this, you know, he's kind of the, mid, the in the middle of this these two big characters being Clark and and Lex. And I think he just kind of ends up ultimately getting squashed by it. But. You know, he, she's pointing out that, oh, well, he's, he's this, he's that, he's this. And Lex is going, nope, 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 poking holes through it the whole time. And then Lex goes, you know, says, I think you're with the wrong guy, turns around and sits and he sits within listening distance or, you know, like eavesdropping distance from them, from Whitney and, and Lana when Whitney comes up and Whitney, you know, true to form puts his foot right in his mouth. Well, I've already, you know, I want to go do this, you know, watch the fight with the guys. And that, uh, that struck a chord with me because as a young man, I, there were many times where I would put things like that in front it, before people, you know, I was in a relationship with and things like that. And it was like, no, you idiot. She's right there. <laughs> you know, what are you doing? I think the the question is, and I, I think it's implied that they already had plans that they had already talked about. Hey, we'll go to the city. And, you know, Whitney was like, sure. But then either forgot or just wanted to do this other thing. But you could read this as it was informal plans. Like they said, you know, like, Hey, maybe we'll do something this weekend. And I was like, we could go to Metropolis. Sure. That sounds fine. Like it wasn't like, they had solid plans, maybe. I, I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm probably being too generous because I do think Whitney's a jerk in a lot of ways. But but there was a, it didn't feel to me like it was a set-in-stone plan that they were like, okay, we're going to leave tomorrow at 8. I'll pick you up. We're going to be at the museum by 11. As much as, let's do something this weekend. Maybe we'll go to Metropolis. And then Whitney decided he'd rather do this other thing. That Not that that makes it better, but it feels a little bit different than, like, I think Whitney's a like dumb here, but I don't think he's a jerk. If that makes, I don't know if I'm explaining it well. <laughs> no, no, I think I, I totally agree with that. And you know, it's one of those things and I, I, I accuse my wife of it all the time and it's me really not paying attention. But mm-hmm. what it is, is like, she'll say, we said, you know, we said we were going to do this or you said that you would, you know, uh, do whatever. And I, and I say, is, was this a, you know, was this a, a sandwich thing where you told me a bunch of things I don't <laughs> care about and you slipped that one thing in? Um, and that's just me being a jerk and, and not fessing up to the fact that I wasn't paying attention. Sure. Um, and so, you know, I think it could have been something like that. Whitney's that level of, uh, kind of a self-absorbed guy. And I mean, he's the quarterback of the, of a small town football team. You know, he probably is used to just kind of doing whatever he wants anyway. Right. So, you know, I think that might have something to do with it too. Though, and, and to his credit, and we, we will see it later in this episode and we will see it in future episodes. He's not a coward. He will per- put himself in danger to protect other people. I mean, he's, he's a bit of a hero 
he's not a superhero like Clark, but he's not like a coward. He's not the sniveling, you know, what you think of as like that, the jock that is tough when there's people around, but when, when pushed on runs away, he stands up, you know, two people in the show and tries to fight as best he can when other people are in, in danger. So I don't want to take, you know, he's not, he's not Sean by any stretch, but he is probably a self-absorbed, uh, high school guy. So, you know, not that that, again, not that it makes it okay, but it makes it understandable. Uh, so then we get a, a scene break here and then we have a short scene that comes after, uh, where Lex plays matchmaker offering Clark tickets to a concert only if he will go ask Alana to go with him. And he sets a clock of 60 seconds. Clark accepts the challenge and Lana accepts the invite to their not date. After striking out with Chloe, Sean moves on to another girl and that ends tragically for her. So yeah, I really like this, this scene. Um, it, it felt very much like an older brother. And, and that's what Lex even says. Like, you know, you're like the younger brother I never had. Someone needs to, you know, benefit from my wisdom. He holds up the tickets to, to Radiohead. Uh, he's, you know, you go ask Alana within 60 seconds and I'll even throw in a limo ride. I think that's exactly the sort of push that Clark needs to actually make a move here. I'm actually, I'm okay with everything that happened there. Yeah, I think you're right. I, that, it felt very much like that. Um, as you know, like in growing up, I never had an older brother, but I had older cousins and they would do similar things like that. Clark has a weird, uh, self like confidence issue. And Lex has all the confidence in the world. And so, you know, he's going, he sees this as Clark, you've got all this going for you. That's the, uh, I think, uh, he says the line, the hardest thing, uh, it, for a, a man to do is to tell the woman he loves that he likes her, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think that's kind of a, a, you know, it applies to not just, not just high school love and, and whatnot. It's, it's, that is a really, really gutsy thing to do. You know, you kind of take that leap unless you're absolutely certain that the other person feels the same way, then, you know, you're taking that leap. It's like asking, you know, someone to marry you. You know, if you're not certain that's, that could, you know, that could be very, very yeah. nerve wracking. I wrote the same line down. I, again, I think it's, I mean, that's, that's truth. That's not a TV show. That's truth. It, making yourself vulnerable is hard. Yeah. And so, you know, when he, you know, when he tells him that it's very much a, you know, yeah, do it or get off the pot. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> so, um, but the funny thing about uh, that was I, when he was, when Lex was in the coffee shop talking to Lana and then moved away, like I talked about just previously, um, he, uh, he ordered a coffee and then he left it behind because he never had it when he was walking out. So either there was a time jump there <laughs> or, he saw Clark coming and decided just to leave it, or he never intended to drink it in the first place. Hmm. That's, I mean, because, because, uh, when you, when I, when I saw your notes you'd written, my thought was he was sitting there to talk to Lana. He, we hear him order the cappuccino. And then I thought, well, maybe he just walked to the counter to get it. But you're right. He doesn't have it when he walks outside. So either he drank it completely. There's like, you said, there's like a small time jump of a couple of minutes. Or I, my read is what you said. I think he saw Clark and all this is coming together. Like he probably had those tickets for himself. You know, like he probably was planning on going or whatever. And then it just all came together. Like Lana's in a vulnerable situation because Whitney just bailed on her for the weekend. I've got these tickets and it just the thought of coffee left him as he was formulating this plan. 
I think that's the perfect read. I think that's in the world of the show. I think that's what happened. And one little uh, tidbit of uh, of of trivia. I, I I was big into Radiohead about that time, so I was like, you know, I was thinking to myself, well, you know, this came out in two thousand and one. I'm like, was did I because I had gone to a Radiohead concert some time around there. And I thought, Oh, maybe, you know, that was when they were touring. And I looked into, it, I was like, they were touring Japan at this time when this show, <laughs> when this show was being aired. So I, I chose to uh, believe my leap of my, my other leap of faith here is that uh, maybe it was a benefit concert and uh, maybe even Lex was even involved in the benefit. The, he knew Lex knew that Lana liked Radiohead because just, he, just the way he said it, I've got these Radiohead tickets. And then when Clark said, you know, it's this thing, whatever, Radiohead, she lit up. Almost like maybe that was one of her favorite bands, you know? Uh, just, the, just the body language there made me think either that's her one of her favorite bands or Lex had some sort of hand in all of this. Hmm. That's, I mean... There's so many moving parts to that. I'm not going to say Lex didn't do it because it's Lex is Lex. But if he did that, that's some like three-dimensional chess right there. <laughs> uh, so after that scene, we cut to a scene where Petey, Chloe, and Clark are walking around the high school. I'm I'm guessing from the time frame, this is like after school. I don't, I don't quite understand. Maybe it's like lunch break and the beanery is really close to the school grounds. I don't know. But anyway, so Chloe, Pete, and uh, Clark are walking in front of the school, and they're just talking about, you know, I can't believe Clark just asked Lana out. Uh, Sean walks up, and he's like, hey, do I owe you a, a phone call talking to Chloe? Chloe makes the flimsiest of excuses, and he just – like, he doesn't even say anything to her. He just, like, turns away, sees Jenna, his ex-girlfriend, and walks towards her. And it is disheartening to see Chloe. Again, I, Allison Mack sounds like she's a terrible person, or at least did some terrible things. But she's a hell of a Chloe. She acts so well this, in this role. And just my heart melted, pun intended, at seeing her as Sean just walked away from her. It was awful. Right. And that was a, a really good uh, example of just how bad Sean was because it, obviously that, w that was kind of like his MO was just bouncing from person to person. And yeah, just, uh, it was so disrespectful and it was obvious he was just looking for, for his own needs. He had no other and being a monster or whatever, you know, it, that just kind of amps it up. But yeah, mm -hmm. it, it really felt like that whole, um, you know, you, somebody approaches you, you find them attractive. Mm -hmm. You don't want to come across as being needy or come across as, you know, too easy. And then they just go bunk like a Super Bowl and bounce off of you and go on to the next person. You're like, well, man, I didn't even. And she even says it that I didn't even play that hard to get, yeah. you know. So, yeah, that was uh, that, that was pretty hard to watch. Yeah. I mean, and we know as the audience that, of course, he needs a fix now. And had this been truly a romantic, uh, you know, proposition, he very well could have said sure I'll, I'll meet you tonight but he wasn't thinking that he's thinking i need body heat now and i'm gonna go find it somewhere else but it's still chloe doesn't know that and watching that scene it just it it's it's a really well done scene uh one thing i want to mention it's just it's a small thing but i really liked it i didn't even catch it till i probably like the fourth time i watched this episode as the three of them are walking before sean shows up there's a moment where chloe reaches out and kind of grabs clark's arm around the bicep 
and then we can't see what's happening because we see them from like the waist up, but she steps up like half a foot and then they walk for like three or four steps and then she jumps down. And what I'm thinking happened, because I do this with my kids, is like those uh, little concrete barriers at the end of like parking spaces. Like like she stepped up on one, used Clark as a balance to balance beam two or three steps and then jumped down the other side. I have no idea why they would have done that in the show, but it made me feel like these are friends. This is, that's something friends do. And I, it, I can't really explain it any more than that. But when I realized what that scene was showing me, I was just like, oh, that's awesome. They're, they're such good friends. <laughs> yeah. It's a very human moment because like you said, you, those are the things that you would do with, a, with your kid or with a friend. You know, if you're walking and, you know, a friend of yours is, uh, you know, she, and she's wearing heels of any kind and the ground is unsteady, they're going to grab onto you. Or you can, you, you know, you can hold out your arm to them or whatever, you know, or, you know, if they're little kids and they're clumsy, you know, you're going to make sure they're not going to fall and skin their knee or things like that. So yeah, it, that, that little moment, um, you know, and I, I, I didn't notice that, and, you know, so I'll, I'll have to look at it again, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it's little things like that, that, uh, you know, probably wasn't in the script. Uh, it was probably just, you know, uh, she just did it and the, the director was like, you know, either didn't correct it or was like, I like that. Let's do it again. But with a little bit more, you know, staying on, on point or whatever. Mm -hmm. So one thing I did want to talk about is in that particular scene is the audience knows what Sean's about because of, you know, of what he's already, he's already done. He's frozen things. He's sucking the, the heat out. He, he, you know, he does that to the, to the, the nurse. So, you know, he's got that in him. And you know that if he would have – if Chloe would have been more receptive, and I think she brings it up later, it could have been her. Yeah. And that brings up really good tension because – and that's a, that's a good uh, – they do it a lot in television, uh, especially because they're able to show you know the audience, you know, this is what's going on. The characters don't know, but you know. And mm-hmm. so then you, you kind of feel – it makes you connect with the characters a little bit more because you're 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 – it's almost like I have knowledge you don't, and it, you're lucky that that didn't happen. That kind of thing, right? I think uh, the the technical term when we, when we push my glasses up is called dramatic irony. Is when the audience knows something the characters don't. The Alfred Hitchcock, I think, coined the term, or 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 he was a big proponent. There's like the, you know you have two characters talking in a cafe, and we know there's a bomb underneath the table, and they don't. Yep. And the entire time you're watching that scene, you're thinking. Oh no, when is that bomb going to explode? But the characters are all like, Hey, let's get a refill. You know, let's just say, watch the game. Uh, and that's what we know. We know that this could be dangerous for Chloe, but she doesn't. In her, it's just a, a guy she kind of likes blowing her off. She has no idea how lucky she is. At least she won't for a while. Right. So the next scene is, well, at the end of that scene, we see Sean go over. He catches up with Jenna again, who's his, his ex. And it seems like they rekindle. So then the next scene is we see Jenna in the shower uh, and she's taking a shower. There's candles everywhere, which I know in your notes, we're going to talk about the candles everywhere. And then there's like a noise and she's like, Sean, like she's not sure if that's Sean. And then she's like, I thought you might want to take a shower. And then Sean, you know, he starts like huffing and puffing like the big bad wolf on the shower curtain and it freezes. Uh, He opens the curtain and he's, He's like fully frozen now. This is the most we've ever seen him start to freeze. He's got like icicles hanging off his eyebrows. Uh, he grabs the shower curtain or the shower head and it turns the water to like snow. 
uh, Jenna falls out of the shower and ultimately he grabs a hold of her, sucks all of her heat out to the point that she's frozen solid. She falls to the ground and shatters into a million pieces. So you had some thoughts about the shower. Uh, well, first and foremost, uh, who lights that many candles whenever they're going to take a shower? Uh, it, it was very obvious to me that she knew uh, – she wasn't surprised. She hears a noise. Sean, is that you? She knew it was Sean. The, the, this, this was all part of the plan. You know, she knew he's, she knows he's a dog. She knows what he, you know, what he wanted to, you know, wanted to accomplish when he came and talked to her and was like flirting with her in, at school. So uh, we don't know how much of a time jump there is there, but you know, she, she had jumped in the shower and was trying to entice him into shower sex, quite frankly. And so. My thing was, uh, you know, she took the time to light uh, light all those candles instead of just having the the lights on in the bathroom. So, I think that she was expecting, you know, more intimate relations, uh, and probably knowing Sean and how he was, that's you know, this was like just a booty call. So I agree with you, but that the, it just it doesn't make sense to me. And again, maybe I'm just too old. I'm not in high school anymore, but I'm trying to figure out the sequence of events. So Sean comes up to Jenna and, you know, basically tries to reconcile. We, we know from the earlier that they, they were dating. They broke up like a week ago. So he's probably like, you know, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have broken up with you. You know, can we talk? Can we get back together? So she seems in agreement. They, they walk off as the scene ends. The next thing we see is her in the shower. My immediate thought is that this was post. Oh, post CODIS. But no, it's, instead it seems like it's like a, like you said, like a seduction thing. So does that mean that they went to her house and then she said, I'm going to go take a shower and just like left him in the kitchen, uh, assuming that he eventually would come up and join her? Uh, like, why wouldn't she just say, why don't we go take a shower? Cause, cause again, and I don't want to get too graphic cause there, you know, it could be kids listening, but if I'm with a girl and she says, I'm going to go take a shower, I think that either means a she wants me to join her in the shower or she wants to shower before we do something. So either way, it just it feels like there's a communication that didn't happen on screen that also didn't happen at all because of her reaction of saying, Sean, is that you? And then Sean kind of show. I don't know. I just I couldn't follow point A to point B to point C of what was supposed to happen versus what happened. Right. It was Yeah. it's almost like those uh the leaps, uh, the leaps of uh, logic there. It's like, oh, oh, this happens all the time. <laughs> yeah, it just, I don't know. Again, um, I agree that it, it's, it's shot as if she was expecting him to join her. That was the plan. She was, she was okay with that. I just feel like it should have been more like, I'm going to go get in the shower. Why don't you come join me in five minutes? But that, I don't know. So anyway, we're probably talking way too much about the shower scene. So let's move on. Uh, one thing I did want to bring up is, uh, and, and just as, this was just an observation in general, uh, the Lowell County coroner, uh, either has to be the most inept, uh, coroner ever, uh, or like on, in some weird conspiracy, uh, into all of this. Cause all of the dead bodies that turn up and in weird ways, I mean, you know, Jenna is, is, is flash frozen and shattered, you know? So, as a parent, my first of of a teenage daughter, my first thought was, "What happened when her parents walked in the house?" Oh God, I don't. That's you know? too real. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh," and 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 then having to explain that to a coroner or have the coroner come in, like, "How does the coroner explain that?" 
You know, yeah, it just doesn't. Your daughter make... was flash frozen, which is a <laughs> physically impossible. Right, it happened. exactly. So yeah, it's like you know who who uh, who elected this coroner. <laughs> uh, so uh, unfortunately, Jenna's untimely shattering ends the scene. Uh, so we have a commercial break, and then we jump into Act Three, where we open with uh, Martha is trying to convince Jonathan Jonathan to take that meeting with Lex. Clark shares with his parents that he's going on a not date with Lana. Sean is going through a list of numbers trying to find another girl that he can use for body heat when he realizes he still has Chloe's number written on his hand. Chloe is helping Clark get ready for his not date with Lana when Sean calls her, and despite Clark's misgivings, she did agree to meet him for coffee at the torch. Jonathan and Martha, Martha meet Lex at his mansion only to learn that he lied about the dinner and that this, this was a private meeting just for them. But reluctantly, Jonathan agrees to listen to the proposal. Clark and Lana are riding in the limo Lex provided when Clark sees that Jenna was dead. Realizing Chloe may be in danger, he puts Lana on hold and rushes off to save her. Sean attacks Chloe at the school, and Clark arrives just in time to save the day. So with this one, um, Martha's interaction with Jonathan, it was – I've seen I, – I, I remember seeing my parents do this. Uh, where my mom, my dad had, you know, so much pride that he wouldn't do something. And my mom saying, well, I've already agreed to it. So now you're either going to cancel and you're going to look like the ass or we're going to go and we're just going to do it because mm-hmm. you know, the old man didn't want to do it or whatever. And when she does that, I've already agreed to it. Jonathan immediately stops. He, he, he doesn't argue. He has a little snide comment a little bit later. But he completely stops. And I think that actually shows uh, a a lot of respect for Martha because it's like, you know what? My wife has already agreed. Then it's a done deal. You know, it's I, I will honor that over my own pride and I'll just swallow my pride and do it. Yeah, I, I don't know that it's a great look for Martha because she is being very manipulative here. But that does, again, feel like a very real relationship situation between a husband and a wife who the husband is quite stubborn, but he, you know, his, the respect people have for him, his standing means so much to him. And the fact that if he now cancels, he's made a liar out of his wife or out of himself is, is worse than going to this meeting that he doesn't want to go to with a person he doesn't want to see. I a hundred percent agree. This feels so real and relatable. It almost doesn't belong in the show. <laughs> And then so they move on to, uh, you know, he, he, that's when Clark says, I've got, you know, the date with Lana and they're weirdly okay with that. I, I, yeah, it, it's one of those things where, cause Jonathan had just agreed to go to this meeting and then Clark comes in and he's all like, I'm going to go on a date with Lana who's dating someone else. And he's like, you know, Lex set this all up and Jonathan gives Martha a look like, I told you. He's a bad influence. So I did find it a little bit weird that she didn't actually say anything, but I think it's very clear that they don't approve, but I don't, it wasn't like, I don't think they were okay with it. I just don't think they said anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. But my whole thing was, you know, they know, actually, she, she actually says, I think it was Martha says, isn't Lana dating Whitney? And he says, she's not married mom. And then they kind of give these, give and then Jonathan and and Martha share a look kind of like, you know, what are you going to do? You know, that kind of thing. And it, it's, that struck me as weird as, you know, these, these are, these are honorable people, but yet they, they look at it as, well, they, it's, it's obvious that 
Clark loves Lana. And to them, that's more important than the fact that he's potentially horning in on somebody else's relationship. Right. I think in my mind, if we didn't just have the conversation we had and Jonathan hadn't just agreed to go see Lex, like if this was a different situation in the house when he walked in, I feel like there would have been more to that conversation. I think it was just like luck of the draw that they were not in a position that either one of them could take the moral high ground with Clark. Right. That's a good point. Um, so I think you, you have both noted that there's no way that ink would still be on Sean's hand. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, he fell through the ice, you know, and then, uh, you know, warming up his hands and all this. I've been rubbing his hands together as many times and whatever. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yes, that, that, that was pretty outrageous. Yep. That's like the most unrealistic thing in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, so I like Chloe helping Clark get dressed and, you know, the, just the very um, kind of cheeky blue's a good color on you. She holds up the blue shirt for him. He holds the first thing he holds up is the plaid. Yeah. And she's like, burn that. And that <laughs> I think that was like a little dig at, uh, you know, his his poor like his 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 uh, his fashion sense is like a decade old, you know. So it's very, you know, why are you wearing a, you know, a plaid flannel? No. The, the, that's out of date. Burn that. So. <laughs> uh, and then there was the um, just talking about how um, it's not a date. It's not a right. date with Lana. It's, it's not, not a date. It's not a date. And she's and Chloe says, well, if she's wearing something new, it's a date. And that's actually uh, I've heard that before. And I think that that's a that, that's one of those other life things. It's like I've heard. You know, people like moms tell their sons, if if you're going and doing something and she's wearing something new, she likes you, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. So I think that was a very good, you know, uh, uh, injection of a little bit of wisdom, you know, like relationship wisdom or at least because Clark can be so oblivious as a, as observant and, you know, super powered as he is. He when it comes to the you know, affairs of the heart, he's so like obtuse sometimes. So I think that was Chloe kind of giving him a little bit of uh, insight on the girls, you know. Right. And, and we're jumping ahead a little bit, but let me ask, was this a date? Uh, I think in Clark's mind, I think in both of their minds, they knew it. Because if if uh, she was, she felt like she was, uh, you know, getting back at Whitney for abandoning her. I think it was. I And because I, later on, she says, I think our not a date freaked him out. So I think she was she was thinking of it as a date. Clark was certainly thinking of it as a date. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think we learned later that Lana did not tell Whitney what she was doing. She justified it that, you know, Whitney was hanging out with his friends. I'm hanging out with mine. But the fact that you don't tell your significant other that you're going out, you know, to a different town in a limo to see a concert with a uh, you know um, potential sexual partner that uh, you don't tell them there's a it's a date and that's my opinion it was a date so uh, I mentioned uh, so my notes that uh, Clark does the magic trick X-ray with Lana in the um, the limo which I thought was a good callback to the previous episode where he gets his X-ray power I don't think it's a great move. To, to, I don't know. I, I think magic's cool, but it just seemed one that why was the cards even in the limo? But I think the whole limo ride was very awkward, which I guess it was supposed to be. But so they don't really know what to talk about. Clark does this again, quote unquote, dumb magic trick. And then 
Lana turns on the TV. Like, if, if I was like, again, we're, we're getting way too in the weeds here, but if I was like on a date, I, I'm with a girl, I like, I'm at the house, we're on the couch, and they turn the TV on, that's telling me I'm bored, I'm done with you. I, I don't know, it, it seemed like a very much like a, which I don't know, maybe reading into it, maybe it was because she was feeling attraction and vulnerability and she she didn't want to oh she engage. needed to deflect it yeah so 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 maybe a better reading is that she actually did it on purpose not just out of boredom so i'm, I'm going to revise my initial note that i think that's actually a good thing that happened <laughs> yeah yeah i think that uh yeah I, I wasn't too keen on the on the magic trick um you know i i don't know i it just who what limo has a deck of cards just sitting out <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. You know, if it was like a Vegas limo, I don't know. So I, I noticed when Chloe's working on the torch, uh, there's a the sound of an old school modem that <laughs> yeah. just made me laugh. Yeah, yeah, because that that really dates the uh, dates the episode. Because <laughs> then, because you know, like kids today would be like, "What is that even? What it? You know, I heard somebody use that as a ringtone one time, maybe. Um, but <laughs> you know, um, when Chloe agrees to meet with Sean. When, when they're talking about it and it's like, well, you know, I thought that, you know, I thought he was, uh, you know, you weren't that interested or whatever. And she's like, but he's really hot. That kind of <laughs> stuck with me as in this episode, maybe everybody in this episode are dogs, you know, maybe they're all trying to, you know, I mean, they're, they're high school kids, you know, their hormones right. are out of control, you know, and, you know, high school, that's the whole point of, of, you know, like, games set in high school, you know, like role-playing games set in high school is you make bad choices. It, that's just what you do, you know? So maybe that was just a Chloe bad decision, you know, and just exemplifying it. Just I, the only reason I did it was because he was hot. Yeah. And I mean, I think it plays a lot too. Again, she's in love with Clark. Clark's been in love with Lana forever, but, th but it's never been able to work out because up until the show quote unquote starts, Lana's always been wearing that necklace. So Clark literally can't get around her. So basically Lana is not really competition because you know it just can't work but all of a sudden now clark's been able to talk to her they're starting to get close he asked her on a date not date so i think she was like you know what i i deserve something too uh and it could also even be a little bit of like jealousy trying to get clark jealous so again I, they're high schoolers they're supposed to be 14 15 year old high schools high schoolers absolutely all of this totally tracks for me um but it's a bad look on our girl because she's better than that so Chloe's at the, at the torch. She hears a noise in the hallway. She goes out and it looks like Sean has laid out like a whole bunch of petals, like, like, like flowers leading her towards the pool. If he's just after the body heat, what is all the pomp and circumstance about romance? Like, why are we even going through the motions of this is like a dalliance? He's just going to grab her by the face and suck her heat out. I don't understand why he would go to all that trouble. Right. Why lure her out of the torch anyway? You know, I mean, she she's confined in a small room. All he had to do was go in the door. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, and my, my thing was, and I didn't even really think of it on that level. I just was like, as soon as I saw the flower petals on the floor, I was like, why didn't he, how did, why didn't those flower petals wither, you know, at his cold touch? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. It, it, it makes no sense. But yeah, I think we jumped ahead because I think you have some uh, notes about the, uh, the meeting with Lex and Jonathan and Martha. When they have that, that meeting and they walk in and Martha says, are we early? And Lex is like, well, truth be told, <laughs> I didn't ask anybody else. 
he doesn't lie to Jonathan because I think Jonathan's BS meter is too good that he would, you know, he already doesn't trust Lex. So he's already looking for reasons not to trust him. So going on the side of being honest, you know, oh, I didn't ask anybody because I knew, you know, they wouldn't come. Insinuating maybe you are the rational ones. Maybe you are the ones who will actually listen to this. And I think that kind of plays off of what he talked with uh, Martha about earlier. Yeah, I mean, he plays them differently. He The way he manipulates Martha is different than how he, he would interact with Jonathan because you're right. He knows the approaches are not compatible either way. Like you have to be specific with Martha to get what you want. You have to be different with Jonathan to get what you want. Right. And and it's funny because he knows the dynamic of the of the uh, Kent household. And it's it's I wouldn't say it's a universal dynamic, but a lot of the a lot of times when you have a very strong personality like Jonathan in public or in when they're a group together, you have to address the the dominant one. Uh, if you don't, they're not going to listen to you. And that's just the way it's going to go. I think Lex knew this from the beginning. That's why he approached uh, Martha by herself, because he knew that Martha would be able to work him, work Jonathan and to get him a little bit more pliable for this meeting. and. You know, it's uh, it's one of those things that uh, it's a manipulation tactic that uh, is used a lot with um, with coaches, uh, with like military recruiters, things like that, where they know they'll 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 apply uh, they'll apply to the uh, the dad's sense of pride or, you know, Will you let your son, you know, you're going to let your son be a wimp, that kind of thing. Uh, I think he kind of plays on that a little bit where it's like he plays on Jonathan's pride, but he also has that dagger to the heart of your dad reached out for help. And Mm -hmm. that was it it, it kind of took the wind out of Jonathan's sails for a minute because obviously, I mean, he's Jonathan even says it uh, a man or someone smarter than me, um, you know, putting his dad on that pedestal was able to do it. And then, and Lex was ready and was like, he didn't do it by himself. Uh, so the next scene here, Chloe and Clark have our traditional Smallville leap of logic and figure out that Sean can only survive by stealing body heat. Uh, well, I think we may have left out the fact that Sean attacks Chloe. Clark shows up. So she's fine. Lana gives the limo ride to Pete and Pete's date, uh, realizing that she won't be needing it. Whitney shows up and is confused about what Lana has been doing. She asks for a ride home. Sean finds a local power station and tries to draw heat. Uh, when the power begins to dim, Clark realizes what's happening somehow. Uh, Lex is giving Jonathan and Martha the hard sell, shares that Jonathan's father only kept the farm afloat with government assistance. Uh, Whitney and Lana's car ride is a bit chilly. <laughs> get it? As Whitney questions her going on a date, not date with Clark, Whitney swerves to Miss Sean, who's in the middle of the road, and wrecks their car, uh, and they limp towards Lex's mansion. They show up interrupting Lex in the Kent's meeting, and then Clark shows up to the scene of the crash, but Sean is able to deep freeze him. So I want to talk about the, the earlier you talked about the farm and whether it's mismanaged. Jonathan inherited the farm from his dad. If he did not know that his dad accepted government subsidies, then he probably is running the farm badly because that's that's not like shocking information a lot of small farms subsist on subsidies or you know help get by on subsidies absolutely so it just seems like like that's like a dark secret 
that that Jonathan's fault. I just that felt to me like a reveal that was like dun dun what? <laughs> right. It's like duh. You know? Yeah. And he goes, well, and, and how did you get this information? It's a matter of public knowledge. Well, yeah, it is. And uh, probably every other farmer around you, Kent, has done the same thing. And, yeah. and, and if Jonathan isn't accepting government subsidies or, you know, crop rotation, you know, money, then he doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> so I think we've established Jonathan is not a good farmer. <laughs> Right. Um, <laughs> talking about, uh, uh, Chloe and, and Clark going, doing the, uh, the internet, uh, uh, you know, plot exposition. Um, the, her, her internet is, uh, this is back in what, 2001. So, I mean, where is she finding all this stuff? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Probably just has like the CD ROM Britannica discs. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Ask Jeeves or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Um so I don't understand why Sean is being so picky. Like I get he's a dog. It's well established that he you know, he finds women, does his thing with them and drops them. But he's dying. He's literally like he's it's, it's the metaphor he's starving to death. There are guys, there are girls, there are farm animals at this in this scene he goes to like a power station. Why is he being so selective on his body heat sources? It seems kind of strange to me. Right. I mean, yeah, he could be to drag it out, he could have, you know, he could have been feast, you know, like f- freezing livestock. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, cows put off a lot of heat, you know. So, and there's plenty of them in in Smallville. So, I mean, yeah, why Why just teenage girls? I don't understand. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously it's part of his character, but it, it, it becomes out of character when it becomes a life or death moment, I thought. Chloe says something about Lana and Clark's like, oh yeah, the most important girl in the entire world to me. I left her. Maybe I should get back. Uh, unfortunately, it's too late. She has already gone. While he's in the beanery, the power starts to fluctuate and you get like this dimming lights and Clark immediately goes, Sean, is one of his powers super intuition? Again, I know I hinted this earlier, but I don't think there's any reasonable leap of logic for those two things. Right. Yeah, it, it, it makes no sense. It's like, well, <laughs> you, you, your first thought would be, you know, is there a storm? Maybe, you know. Yeah. Uh, did the beanery not pay its power, you know, <laughs> the power bill, you know, something like that. Yeah, I can't believe the only time the power dims in Smallville is because of meteor freak attack. I mean, it's like, isn't Kansas in Tornado Alley? Like, yeah, absolutely. Right. So, so yeah, you'd think that uh, they'd be, he'd be looking up going, uh-oh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so Whitney and Lana are in the car or in his truck. Very sort of cold conversation. Whitney can't let it go. He has to ask about Clark. Uh, Sean's in the middle of the road. He swerves, causes them to wreck, and Lana twists her ankle. And again, this is that moment where Whitney, I think it's pretty much common knowledge that Sean has killed or is suspected of killing Jenna. So Whitney's like, I got to get you safe. And, you know, in a in a different movie, Whitney would have taken off, left Lana in the car. Right. But that's not who Whitney is. Whitney's like, I got to get you safe. Right. Sucks to and suck, girl. He, you know? Yeah. So it just, uh, <laughs> I don't have again, to run Whitney, faster than him. I got to run faster than you. <laughs> Back kick crack. Uh, uh, but again, I don't like Whitney, but I got to give him credit where credit's due. He takes care of Lana. He tries to keep her safe, even putting himself in danger. Yeah. 
I don't understand the how things happen here. Again, it's typical Smallville, but so they swerve to miss Sean. So Sean can't be more than like 35 feet away, right? But they have time to get out that he gets Lana and she's limping and he's half carrying her. Sean is nowhere to be seen. Right. And and they show up to Lex's mansion, but we're going to skip that. We'll, we're staying at the scene of the crime here. Clark shows up, sees the, the truck is wrecked, runs over to see what's going on. And Sean somehow sneak attacks out of nowhere and grabs him. Why did he not see Sean? Where was Sean hiding? Right. It, it doesn't make any sense to me that Sean is turned invisible because he does it again later. He turns invisible apparently in a later scene too. Right. And, and you know, he's starving. He has two people right there. One who cannot move very fast. Why doesn't he attack them? Why does he wait for Clark? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, but he basically, he deep freezes Clark. Uh, but it doesn't kill Clark. Obviously, Clark is Clark, so it 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 refuels him and warms him up. But Clark is like knocked unconscious. So actually, I should add that for one of my questions at the beginning. I left that question off. We did have someone who was knocked unconscious. This scene it oh, was Clark. It was Clark. Yeah, that's right. Clark. So, but anyway, so cutting back to the Lex, this is the part where Lex shares that Jonathan's you know father had subsidies, and he's really. Like doing the hard sell when Lana and Whitney show up and they learn about Sean and Martha thinking Lana was on a date with Clark is like, where's Clark? Well, I think that uh, Whitney and Lana showing up totally messed up Lex's pitch because he was not, he, like you said, he's had the hard sell. He just dropped the, the, the bomb of your dad took government subsidies, you know, um, and, you know, asked for help and things like that. So I think he had Jonathan on the ropes and was basically saved by the bell. You know, it was the door opens up and, you know, creepy butler number four walks in with Lana and, and Whitney. And, you know, it's, it, it completely changed the, the whole scene. It would, the focus became where's Clark? What's going on? And, you know, so I think Jonathan, if, if left to proceed the way it was, looked like it was going to, Jonathan may have agreed to that. I think you're right. I think he, he almost had him. And if it hadn't been for the interruption, it probably would have been able to, you know, maybe not seal the deal, but I think it would have been closer. Yep. I think that that interference uh, gave Jonathan time to kind of reset and uh, re-harden himself against accepting Lex's help, which he's anathema to do. Right. The one thing I wanted to bring up about the uh, about the accident, uh, I noticed right away, uh, first time watching it through, when the accident happened. Uh, and then they show the truck on the passenger side. There's a circular, almost like an impact crack on the windshield. And I, and I'm on the second time watching through, I'm like, what did they hit? Did they hit a tree? Cause I don't, I don't ever see a tree there. Maybe there was like a branch or something, but it didn't, it looked like he almost went, uh, like swerved off the road and went into like a ditch or something like that. And, so as soon as I saw that impact crack on the windshield, my first thought was, oh, here we go. Lana's going to be concussed again, you know, which again. is which is the, the, the big, you know, the running joke throughout the whole series. Um, but then it turned out she twisted her ankle and I'm thinking, well, how did how did that happen? So my my I, what I'm wondering is, did they maybe do that? Have, you know, have the FX person like do that with the, with the truck. And then they thought, you know what? Let's not have her concussed for this one. Cause otherwise we'll have to have Whitney carrying her or something like that. Yeah. Um, 
So I wonder if that was like a, maybe a, a last minute change. Certainly possible because they do have Lana go. And that's why it's one of our questions at the beginning, because it's such a Smallville trope that in every episode, just about someone gets knocked unconscious, sometimes multiple people, sometimes multiple times. Like it's just crazy how many people fall unconscious in the show. Uh, so, but yeah, so I missed the one with, with Clark, but I think you're right. I think there's a really good chance that they, uh, maybe they decided to have, that's what, you know, they decided to have Clark go unconscious instead. I do like, uh, the scene, again, I'm jumping around now where, where Pete's talking to Lana and, you know, asking where Clark is and they have a little moment. They talk about Clark being Clark and Pete says, I can't believe anything would be more important to Clark than you just dropping bombs, Pete. I mean, no subtlety whatsoever. Uh, just laying your friend out that he's been in love with Lana for like ever. Yeah, I believe they call that throwing under the bus. <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah, Pete actually, um, there, there's, and I don't, I, I've noticed it in the first few episodes. I, I haven't done a like complete series rewatch, but they do this thing where I think it's, they're trying to make it like, uh, snappy dialogue and mm-hmm. where they'll start. One person will start talking and the other person will like cut in and interrupt them with, uh, with what they're having to say. So it's like earlier in the episode, the, as the, the Kents are walking into Lex's house and they're like, Oh, your house is so, and then Lex is big, you know, that kind of thing. Um, well, in this scene, Pete says something, you know, uh, it was so, or she, Lana's saying, it, Lana says, is Clark always so, and then Pete says, Clark like? Yes. And I, I'm like, do they do this through the whole series? I don't remember this, but it just seems like such a a, a thing. So I I can't recall. I mean, I'm guessing it probably does happen more. Particularly, I can see Lex doing that a lot, but it's not in, fresh in my mind like that is something that happens so often that it's stuck in my head like other things, like the going unconscious and talking over your shoulder. But I, I'll have to pay attention and see if I see more of that as we go. So now we are on to the last Act, Act 5, um, Sean makes it to the mansion and steals the heat from the g- mansion's generator. Martha goes out to check on it, and Sean is there. Clark revives in time to speed over and confront him. After a short fight, Clark tosses him into a nearby pond, which then freezes solid, trapping him inside. Uh, the next day or so, Lex comes to Jonathan and laments that his offer was refused. Jonathan took out a loan, which m- with much less benefits than what Lex was offering. Uh, we learn that Pete got a second date, thanks to the limo. Chloe and Clark lament on how poorly their dates went. Clark tries to set up a makeup date, but Lana declines. Clark asks Lana why she dates Whitney, and Lana tells him, because whenever I need him, he's there. I guess he makes me feel safe. And then we have our most apropos music cue as Standing Still by Jewel starts playing as Clark stands in the hallway, lights dim, and he drops his head in like a Charlie Brown sad motion oh yeah (laughs) oh yeah there's a lot to unpack in that whole last part because i mean all the actions you know it's uh you know you have the the climax of the episode and then you know the denouement of of the outcome of of all of it and that last dagger to clark's heart is uh yeah that's that I think resonates with so many people because that again is a very human thing. It's Lana would rather have somebody she can rely on than, you know, someone who probably is more attractive or at least feels like is more of a fit to her. But, you know, 
safety, security, that kind of thing, which is the, of, of course, is the irony of the whole thing is because she's talking to Superman. You know, right. so I mean that 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 is that, that's the delicious irony of that whole thing is you know who's going to keep you more safe and who has been keeping you safe and will keep you safe more than Clark, uh, but she does just does not see it. Yeah. So I think you might have noticed or you noted that when the lights flicker because of the uh, generator, you know they they divvy up flashlights and Lex is like we should stay in here and Martha's like no I'll go check on the generator and both Jonathan and Lex let her okay I'm all for woman empowerment here you know Martha makes her own choices but I got to give Lex and Jonathan some major shade because why not at least send Butler number four with her right yeah where's 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 Lex's uh like house staff you know yeah. But yeah, and, 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 I mean, Jonathan goes first because he's like, I'll go check the gate. So then, you know, Martha's like, well, where's the generator? And Lex is like, well, I can do it, but he doesn't go. I can do it. You could, but you don't, buddy. So, you know, obviously, you know, it's like, no, there's some crazy psycho out there. I'm not going out there, you know, go ahead, Martha. Knock yourself out. Yeah. Uh, I like uh, Lex's little dig when he actually says, sorry about your date to Lana. Like, uh, he, he knew it was a date. Oh, yeah. So, so Martha goes out to check on the generator, finds it frozen, of course, and then Sean shows up. And before anything can happen, that's when Clark shows up. And again, Sean being Sean says, that's your mom? She's hot. <laughs> yeah, he's got to get his last little dog bit in, right? Oh, yeah. And again, Annette tool, very beautiful woman, but just, I don't know. This felt weird. Uh, I think we both had notes here about the why if, if it's so cold that Crater Lake is frozen solid – why is this pond on Lex's property not frozen? Yep. Uh, and you mentioned the meteor rocks. Maybe that's why. Certainly possible. Yeah. After like a short little scuffle, which again, where Sean again turns invisible apparently because, because Clark does a complete 360, no Sean, and then instantly from off screen, Sean attacks. Uh, but Clark is able to throw him into the pond where the entire pond freezes solid like a block of ice trapping Sean inside. But what's the end game? Is he still there now? Is he frozen? Like, did they eventually go chop him out of the ice? Like, we we never learn where he ends up. I have a feeling that Lex has him because it's his property. <laughs> Finders keepers. Right. He's like, oh, well, you know, uh, he's mine now. Was it, oh, yeah. Possession's nonsensical. That's what yeah, I was going right, for. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I, Lex probably has him like locked up in some sub basement, you know, to experiment on or, or figure out what happened to him. Uh, who knows? Maybe it's uh, uh, maybe Sean is the precursor to, uh, you know, Mr. Freeze or something, you know? Yeah. I looked up Captain Cold is one of the um, there's, there's Mr. Freeze and then there's Captain Cold. I think the two main ice villains, there's like Weather Wizard and some others. But um but yeah, that I I think this character probably was based in theory on those type of characters, but I don't think it's supposed to be uh, an, a direct link because I think some of the villains we get in later seasons and later episodes are like you know nudge nudge wink wink. This is actually you know this super villain. We're just not calling them that. And it, like well, Toy Man, they even call him Toy Man, but that's like season eight. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think because it's like Leonard Snart. I think is Captain Cold's name. It's like this. Really, it's horrible. It's a it's a very distinct name, and so I think Sean Kelvin 
was uh, was wholly his own character. But I, I would like because I've watched I'm almost done with the series again. I'm, I'm at the very end of season nine right now. I've almost watched the entire series in about a month. I don't think Ice Boy comes back at all ever. Hmm. One of the things I noticed is there's a there's a scene in the hallway at the end when right before Clark goes and talks to Lana and he's got like a red backpack and it's hung over his left shoulder. And we see him wear this backpack a lot. Uh, I mean, just throughout the entire first four or five seasons, it's just something that he's got all the time, but it's very distinctively bright red. And I, in my mind, I'm thinking, do you think this is like supposed to be sort of like a subtle cape sort of like image? Cause he doesn't ever wear normally work. He has both straps over both shoulders, like a, excuse me, it's always hanging off one shoulder. But if he were to put both on, it would certainly look like a cape going to his back. So I don't know if it's, I just don't know if it's a, a choice that I'm supposed to be thinking that, because I do. I think it probably is. But then the music cue, and I mentioned this last week, because I listen, I watch the show with subtitles on. So a lot of times I can read the lyrics, which is easier for me to like, really see how they line up versus when I hear them. Uh, so Standing Still by Jewel starts to play at the very end. Clark's in the hallway of school. Apparently the bell has rung. So all the other students are, you know, basically walking out of frame, walking into classrooms and Clark's standing there all by himself. And the lyrics are, do you want me like I want you or am I just standing still? And again, it's just perfectly lined up with Clark wanted the second not date and Lana's like, no, and walks away. But does she want him like he wants her or is he just standing still? And there we go. That is Smallville episode five. So any final thoughts on the episode? Did you like it? What'd you think? Are you a big time Smallville fan? Doesn't sound like you finished it. So what was it like rewatching this episode with, you know, 19 years <laughs> uh, separated? I think it, I, I watched, I actually watched, I never watched them when they were uh, like broadcast. I, I would, uh, I would get the seasons on DVD after they were released. And I think I got up to season five as I recall. Um, so I, I, I watched this episode. I don't, before rewatching it now, I didn't remember this episode. So I was, I didn't have any kind of a preconceived idea of, of, you know, what I was going to see or anything like that. The special effects don't hold up. You know, some of them do. Like you said, some of them, you know, the lighting change and things like that. Um, Sean being, you know, the, having the blue lips and the ice on him and stuff like that. It was okay. I've watched enough, uh, you know, CWWB shows to know that you, you've kind of got to take a, take some of the good with the bad, especially the older stuff. Mm -hmm. So as an episode, like by itself, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it enough. I, I was, you know, I, I wasn't going, Oh, Michael, why are you making me watch this multiple times? <laughs> uh, it was, you know, I, you know what? I'll watch it again and I'll try and pick out some, some little nuances that maybe I didn't notice the, well, you know, when you're watching it just to enjoy it, you know, a lot of these things just kind of pass you by as you don't, you know, unless you're really hyper aware of what's going on. So I think that this, the way that they told the story was good. I think that they did a lot of these little, nuances to kind of like suck you in and and feel for these characters that last scene with that song uh that last shot i should say with that that song i think you couldn't have packaged that more perfectly and that it almost in a nutshell is like the first season of smallville for me you know it makes you feel that way it's like oh you know he's so sad because he knows he he so badly wants to tell her that what he does and who he is, but he knows he can't. 
And I think that uh, that adds to the – it's one of the reasons to me I'm – you know, I, at first I was willing to watch the show to begin with just to enjoy it. And now it was like, you know, I, I this show is it, – it, it has some timeless qualities to it and to – I, modern audience can still enjoy it. Yeah, I, I agree. I um I thought this was a good episode. I don't I don't think it's great, but overall that was I thought it was solid. I'd give it like a good B as far as the overall so far. Uh, as far as my thesis of Superman, Man versus Superman, I think this is one of those episodes that's that's perfectly illustrated. Clark got his date with Lana, but because he is actually Superman or has the ability, he has to leave Lana in a lurch run off and save Chloe who loves him, but who he doesn't have those feelings for. So the man versus Superman was directly in conflict. The man wanted to date Lana, but Superman could not let his friend be in danger. And by saving Chloe, he basically wrecked his chance at Lana, at least for the foreseeable future. Their relationship of course goes up and down, but I think this is a very good episode for the man versus Superman thesis for the show. Mm. All right. So your turn. For your pass the torch question, what do you want me to ask the next co-host? All right. So my pass the torch question to the next host uh, is in this episode. Cool. Clark astutely notes that uh, whenever Lana is sad or disappointed, she tends to uh, retreat into a book. You know, so she re- retreats into these sad novels or at least something to ca- kind of escape. So my question to you is what is your go to feel good or when I'm sad escape? So, Eric, once again, thank you so much for joining me. Please go ahead and let everybody know where they can find you and your socials and anything else you'd want them to know. Thank you, Michael. And thank you for having me. This is a blast. So you can find me uh, on all of the socials. I'm uh, on uh, Twitter. I'm at Boz Shalun. Um, that's at B-O-Z-S-H-U-L-U-N. Uh, you can also find me on uh, the Gamers Table uh, website, gamerstable.com, uh, and that has links to, like, our Discord and uh, all of our all of our other shows that we have going on. So as for myself, again, Michael, uh, most of everything I can be found at the RPG Academy, all the socials, all the websites. Uh, this website is smallvillefarmtofable.com. You can email this show at smallvillefancast at gmail.com, and you can join our Facebook or Twitter, both of them, Farm to Fable. Uh, just a reminder, we are trying to get to 100 iTunes readings and reviews or 150 global. If we can get to either of those numbers before the end of season one, then in between season one and two of this show, we are going to do a special role play a game edition where we play a, an, a session of Smallville, the role playing game with myself running and some of our guest co-hosts filling in as players. And we are going to play a kind of Elseworlds Smallville episode of the show that we will write and star in. And we will produce that as an actual play as a bonus content. So if you would like to hear that, Help us get to that uh, iTunes ratings and review, and then you'll hear it. Uh, Be sure to stay after the credits for the scoreboard. Farm to Fable is a Smallville rewatch fan cast and is not officially affiliated with DC Comics, Warner Brothers Television, the CW Network, or any other owners of Smallville and or its related source materials. As such, these companies retain sole ownership of all symbols, images, names, logos, and other proprietary material related to Smallville. Our use of logos, images, names, likenesses, and sound clips are being used under the Fair Use Guidelines. Our logo was created by Michael Waldschlager II. You can find Michael on Twitter at LoserMLW. Farm to Fable is written, edited, and produced by me, Michael Ross, 
with additional input by weekly co-hosts as credited in each episode's show notes. And now, let's check the scoreboard. Total number of vehicles wrecked, 11. Three by meteor strike, one by driving into a meteor strike zone, one by driving off a bridge, one due to bug swarm, one due to meteor freak attack, which is bug boy, one by pyrokinesis, one hit by Tina as Clark while trying to run down Martha, one when Clark is tossed onto it from the barn loft, one this episode when Whitney swerves to Miss Sean and runs off the road. Total number of times a person has been knocked unconscious, eight, one Lex when he drove off a bridge. Whitney twice, once when his truck was wrecked by Bug Boy attack, and then again when he was thrown into a horse stall by Bug Boy. Lana has been unconscious three times. The first time happened off screen. Then she was choked out by Tina, shapeshifted as Whitney, and then once as asphyxiation from being entombed by Tina. Principal Quan from being in a car fire, and this episode, Clark, when he was deep freezed by Sean. Total number of times someone goes to the hospital, one, Quan, though it did happen off screen. And the total number of times Clark has shown someone other than Lana his abilities, five. Basically, one every episode. 